0: We're in a series called Five Prayers That Can Change Your Life. Five Prayers That Can Change Your Life. We're looking at just five of the Psalms. You know that Old Testament book called Psalms? So like right in the middle of your Bible, if you if you still have uh, like a, a physical Bible and not just digital. And, and and there are 150 Psalms, and we're only looking at five of them. The Psalms were the ancient songbook for Israel. It was their song book. It was their prayer book. And, and it contains their prayers and their songs and their, their heart cries. And, and we've looked so far at Psalm 1, which was a prayer for happiness. Psalm 22, a prayer for when you feel abandoned. Psalm 23, a prayer of confidence. And today we're looking at Psalm 51, a prayer for integrity. A prayer for integrity. I dare you to pray these psalms. Pray all 150, but especially these five that we have been digging into in recent weeks. Wrestle with these psalms. Make these psalms your own. I challenge you, I dare you, every day be be praying one of these psalms. Make it your own, update it, edit it, and apply it to your own life. It can change your life. Because I have found that Prayer is hard, isn't it? And it's so easy to get in your little prayer corner and you say, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes in prayer and you get so distracted and your mind wanders. But I tell you, you can really keep your mind focused when you actually pray one of the Psalms or pray one of the prayers of the Bible. And it helps keep you focused. And you can just go verse by verse. You reflect on what it meant originally, but then you pray that verse and you apply it to your life and, and, and you cry out to God, it can change your life when you learn to pray like this. So here's where we're going today. Well, we're going to talk about what integrity is, because it's more than what we normally think. And then I'm going to tell you the story of King David, okay? The story of King David, because he's the one who wrote Psalm 51. And when you know the story and the context, when we actually read Psalm 51, it will mean more to you. And then after we read Psalm 51, or at least parts of it, we're going to conclude by taking some action steps, okay? So that's where we're headed this morning. So let's start off by asking the question, what is integrity? What is integrity? Dr. Henry Cloud has a whole book called Integrity. I recommend it to you. Henry Cloud, Integrity. It's about meeting the demands of life, and it's, it's a great, great book. But he starts off telling a story about a mother who had two boys, ages nineteen and twenty-one. And these boys were were, you know, they're right at that age, you know, college age, and they're they're kind of deciding what they want to do and what college to go to and what their careers might be and what is success in life really. And this mother was she was she was a good, a great mother and she was even a little obsessive with her boys, wanting them to succeed. And she knew that Henry Cloud was this, this famous guy who talked about success and all that kind of thing. And, and, and she said, I want you to take my boys out to lunch and I want you to talk to them about success and what, what success in life looks like and how to succeed in a career and that kind of stuff. And she kept pestering Henry Cloud. And finally he said, OK, uh, he said, I'll, I'll do that. And then she said, well, what are you going to tell them? He said, well, I don't know. I have to think about it. She said, "No, no, no. Tell me what, what. What would you tell them?" She kept pestering him. He said, "Well, I would probably tell them something like this. People who become really successful tend to have three qualities. First, they have some set of competencies. They're they're competent. They're good at something. They they have a skill set, and they get to know their discipline. Their their industry, their, their their what their job, whatever it is. For example, if you're if you're Bill Gates, it helps to know something about computers, the computer industry. If you're going to be a leading surgeon, you have to know something about the human body. In other words, you can only fake it for so long, boys. You have to have a set of competencies. So get yourself into the library or where wherever and master your craft whatever it is you got to get good at it there are no shortcuts but henry cloud went on to say there are a lot of people who are competent there are a lot of people who are good at what they do but they don't really get to be that successful they don't get to be really big leaders so so to go to the next level of accomplishment you have to take your set of competencies and what you do well, and you have to build alliances with others. You have to have the ability to form networks and relationships that are mutually beneficial. Partnerships and alliances will take your competencies to a whole new level. That's key in being successful in life. But then, Henry said, let's get to the real issue. He said, I would tell them that People who possess those first two are a dime a dozen. There are so many people out there who are very talented, very smart, very competent at what they do. And there are a lot of people out there who know how to build alliances and build relationships and even schmooze people, you know, and kind of work people to, to get what they want. But if your boys are truly going to make it in life and be successful, they have to have this third ingredient They have to have the character not to screw it up. Wow. You and I have seen that a thousand times, haven't we? An athlete, a politician, a business mogul, even preachers with so much talent, and they screw it up. This is what happens to King David. He's blessed by God. He's super successful, and he wrecks his life. And we could say he really affected and and even kind of wrecked the kingdom because he lacked integrity. The story of David is told over in 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read Psalm 51 in just a minute, but to help you understand Psalm 51, you've got to know a little bit of David's background. In 2 Samuel 11 is the story. It, It was springtime. And David was, was king of Israel. And, and his commander, Joab, and the army, they're off fighting uh, fighting battles because it's springtime. It's time for war, and they're fighting off some of the, the neighboring nations. And it's a beautiful spring evening, and, and David goes for a walk out on the rooftop of his palace. And he's overlooking Jerusalem. And 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 his palace being bigger and taller than everybody else's, he can see the top of other people's homes. And he happens to see a woman, a beautiful woman, bathing on her rooftop. She's naked. And what does David do? Instead of turning aside, he pulls up a chair. And he stares. And he enjoys. And he watches. Then he sent for someone to find out who she was. They say, "That's Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite, he's, he's not even, you know, uh, really an Israelite, but he's he's a foreigner who became an Israelite and he's actually in the army out with Joab fighting and he's a loyal servant of the king." And David goes, "Oh." And so he he sends for Bathsheba. And they bring her to the palace, and they spend the, the night together. The next morning, he sends her home. Some time passes. We don't know exactly how long, but David receives word from Bathsheba that she's pregnant. Oh, my. Now what? So David comes up with a plan. He's, he sends word out to uh, Joab, the general, the commander of the army, to send Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back home. And Uriah comes to the palace and he's wondering, what in the world does King David want with me? And David greets Uriah, pats him on the back and tells him what a good old boy he is for being a faithful soldier. And they talk a little bit. And then he says, Uriah, I want you to go home. Just go home for a few days and relax. See your wife. But Uriah doesn't go home. He he stays near the palace and he sleeps with the servants in their room next to the palace. He doesn't even, even go home. And the next morning, David says, Uriah, why didn't you go home? And Uriah says, my commander and my comrades are out fighting a battle. And how could I go home and relax and make love to my wife? Here is Uriah, a Hittite foreigner, by the way, having more integrity than David himself so now david thinks what am i going to do well he invites uriah to the palace again that night and this time he has a big party and he gets uriah drunk and he sends uriah home thinking finally he'll go home and see his wife and and hopefully make love to his wife and and then then everybody will think the kid is is uriah's kid and not realize that it's really my child and Then David finds out the next morning that Uriah still didn't go home. Even though he's drunk, he stays in in the the servant's room next to the palace. And now David's like, what am I going to do now? So finally, out of desperation, David sends Uriah back to the battle, back to Uriah, or or back to Joab, the commander. and, And he gives Uriah a note. And Uriah has no idea that he's carrying this note which is his own death sentence. He's carrying this note and he gives it to Joab the commander and Joab reads it, this note from David, and it says, I want you to put Uriah up front where the fighting is the fiercest. And then right when it's the fiercest, I want you to withdraw from him and make sure he dies. And that's what happens. David thinks the story's over now. He thinks his dirty little secret is a secret. But 2 Samuel 11 ends with this. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Oh, the thing David had done displeased the Lord. See, you can fool a lot of people, but you never can fool the Lord. In, in chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes to David now David doesn't know that Nathan knows, and so Nathan he comes to David and he tells David this this little story, this little parable. It's kind of it's made up, but David thinks it's a true story. It's a story about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has many sheep and many cattle, and the poor man obviously has hardly anything. And finally, this little poor this poor man buys a a little lamb. And this lamb, this little sheep, it grows, and, and it becomes like the family pet. They let it in the house, and the kids play with it, and he even has, he has it in his arms, and, and, and it even sleeps in his arms. But then one day, the rich man has some guests coming to town, and he wants to have a party for his guests. And instead of taking one of his own cattle, one of his own sheep, to slaughter and have a big meal for, for the guests, he takes the poor man's sheep and slaughters it, takes it from him, and, and uses that for dinner. And as Nathan is telling David this, David, thinking it's all a true story, he is so mad, and he is so self-righteous, and, and has such a sense of justice, he says, that man is awful. He should pay back five times what, what, what it cost actually. In fact, that man should die. And Nathan looks at David and says, you are the man. David, it's you. You are king. You have wives, many wives, concubines. You have a harem. You have all kinds of women. Yet you wanted this woman, this Uriah's wife, Bathsheba. David, the Lord is not pleased with you. This is what Psalm 51 is about. And David is writing Psalm 51 about this experience. Okay? So let's read now. Let's read. uh, It's kind of lengthy, so we won't read the whole chapter. So I'm going to just read some verses, and I'll let you know which verses as we go along here. But let's start right at the beginning. In Psalm 51, there's actually a title at the beginning. Right before before verse 1, there's a title. It says, For the director of music. Apparently, this was actually set to music a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And so here's David now. You know the story. And he's now writing and he's crying out this prayer before God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. You wonder how long David went carrying this sense of guilt, even hiding it and thinking maybe he's going to get away with it, but he knows inside he's not really getting away with it because his sin is always before him. Look down at verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So he's feeling dirty. He's, He's feeling miserable. And he's like, I want to be joyous again. I want to be glad again. I want to be clean again. Verse 10, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Skip down to verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Here's David. He's broken. And he's saying, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Maybe you resonate with David today. I think at, all, at one level we all can. The, Psalm 51 is classically known as one of the seven penitential psalms. It's one of those sorrowful repenting kind of psalms, God, I'm sorry, God, I've screwed up, God, forgive me, have mercy on me. Maybe that's where you're at today. I want to share with you a couple of things that we learn here and then we'll conclude with some practical ways to develop integrity in our lives. First, we need to really grapple with this and understand this. Competency is important, but character is essential. Competency is important, but character is essential. Remember what Henry Cloud told those two young boys? Many people are competent. You and I, we we know there's a lot of smart people out there, a lot of talented people out there. But when failure comes, it's usually not a result of competency. It's a a result of, of character. Just scan the headlines on any given day, right? An athlete, a politician, a business leader who's been compromising their integrity. They were cheating They were cutting corners. They were lying. And now everything is caving in. David's life starts to cave in at this point. We don't have time to read the rest of the story. I encourage you sometime, maybe this week, read the rest of the story. But you could say that from this point on, David's family and even the kingdom begin to disintegrate. You see, when you lack integrity on the inside, things begin to disintegrate on the outside. And we see it happening. Competency is important, but character is essential. Maybe you're experiencing this right now. Maybe you're looking in the mirror and saying, how did I get here? How did I get here? How did I end up like this? There was that time when when you weren't 100% honest with the client. And you got away with it, and now it's just, It's an easy habit that you rationalize. Or maybe you haven't told your wife about your porn problem. And and you rationalize that it's no big deal when you know deep down it is affecting your intimacy with her. It's those subtle compromises that we make day after day. Those half-truths, those rationalizations, the excuses that create a gap between who we are and who we want to be. And you make those little compromises with your integrity inside, and your life starts to disintegrate on the outside. And if you let it go too far, your life can disintegrate to the point where you can't get it back. Like David, you can be forgiven. You know, the good news, the Gospel is always about grace. It's always about being forgiven but sometimes you go so far and the damage is done and the relationship is broken and you can never be the same again. So let's talk about how to to guard our integrity, how to move towards greater integrity. Three action points. Three habits, three action points that I'm encouraging us to, to take today and this week. First of all, daily look inward. Would you do this daily look inward? This whole series is is called Five Prayers That Can Change Your Life. Hopefully you are praying these five prayers. Pray all 150, but but make these psalms your prayer book, your worship book, your song book. David cries out in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. David looked into his heart after Nathan had confronted him and called him out. And he didn't like what he saw. His heart was hard. His heart was dirty. Created me a pure heart. Oh, God. You see, spiritual maturity is not how much you know. It's how much you apply what you know. You, you, you can know all kinds of Scripture, all kinds of doctrine, all kinds of theology. But if you're not applying it, you're not godly if you're not you're just not a person of integrity you see the purpose of reading scripture at the beginning of the service today jason talked about the rope illustration that i that i've used throughout this series of of uh, old-time farmers back in, in, in the blizzards and storms of the winter. And sometimes they would get lost out in their own front yard trying to make it to the barn to feed the animals and do their chores. So they learned early on that if they would tie a rope from their house to the barn, then, then they could get there safely and they could follow it back even though there's a blizzard going around. And so prayer and Scripture is the rope that keeps you and I safe. You and I have got to got to take this rope and and these two strands, these two threads of Scripture and prayer, prayer and Scripture, and realize that it's, it's what will bring us back home. It's what will keep us close to God. Scripture and prayer. And so throughout this whole series, I'm asking you, are you praying? Are you reading Scripture? See, spiritual maturity comes as you dig into God's Word and you get to know God better and you actually apply what you're learning. My primary goal throughout this whole series is to encourage you and even annoy you and even irritate you until you finally get to the place where you say, "Okay, Greg, I give up. I will start reading my Bible. I will start praying every day. I'm going to start I'm going to read through the Psalms. And I'm going to read maybe a chapter out of the Gospels and then a chapter out of the Psalms. And I'm going to do that every day and I'm going to make that a habit. And I'll say hallelujah. And then I'll go pick on somebody else. You've got to daily look inward. Daily look inward. And you examine your heart. And you learn some new things about who God is and who you are. And you examine your heart. You daily look inward. And you cry out to God for greater integrity. A second thing to do is dare to be transparent. Transparent. You daily look inward, but then you dare to be transparent. Psalm 51 is fascinating from a lot of different angles. For for one thing, it means that David went public with his sin. I mean, can you imagine this? He admitted his sin. He wrote it down. He wrote a prayer about it. And it became a public document that we are still talking about today. And we're using it today to help us confess our sin and to grapple with our sin and to become... More transparent. David was transparent. Now, of course, he needed Nathan, the prophet, to call him out. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But he became transparent. He says in verse thirteen, "Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you." He says earlier, "Create in me a pure heart, O God." And then he says, uh, "Then I will teach others, Lord. If you, once you forgive me, once you create in me a, a clean heart and a new heart, then I'll be able to teach others." your ways, so that they too can turn back to you. God, let me bring some good out of the bad that I've done, out of the tough times and the hard times that I've experienced. Lord, you help me to use this so that I can help others, so that they realize that there's hope for them too. I just read an article this week called Lose Your Swag and Embrace Your Limp. Lose your swag and embrace your limp. Stop pretending you have it all together. Stop faking that you have no problems. That's called hypocrisy. It's called lack of integrity. So, and actually, the the, the this article was written to pastors. Lose your swag and embrace your limp because you know us pastors you know you kind of you like to put us on a pedestal and oh we don't have these kind of problems and oh we, we got to be such good role models and oh they if they knew this or that about me then you know that's an... and so it's easy for pastors to pretend they have their act together when oftentimes they don't see pastors are just humans too and 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 well, I wish we had immunity boy that'd be so great Become a pastor, then you have immunity from all the temptations and trials and problems. No, no, just like anybody, everybody else. So it's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you. Let's lose our swag and embrace our limp. Stop pretending that you have it all together. Stop faking that that you have no problems. If you have a problem with porn, admit it. If you have a problem with gossip, negativity, face it. If you have a problem with depression, tell someone about it. If you have a drinking problem, don't hide it. Share it with a few trusted friends. I tell you, if if you want integrity and integration in your life, you have to learn to be transparent. Lose your swag and embrace your limp. And then thirdly, so, so the first one is daily look inward. Will you do it? Daily look inward. And then dare to be transparent. And then finally, ask for accountability. Ask for accountability. This is the hard one right here. God designed you and I to live in community, in relationship, in transparency with one another, in openness and accountability. In David's case, it was Nathan who came to him and called him out. You are the man. The Lord is not pleased with you, David. Remember the title of Psalm 51 for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan called him out. This whole psalm was written because Nathan had enough courage to hold David accountable. You know, church is supposed to be a place where we come together and yes, we worship like this, but we also to build relationships with each other. And, and we encourage one another. And we can do life together and we laugh together and we encourage and enjoy each other's friendships. But a part of that is also holding each other accountable. We have something like 20 adult life groups in, in our church here. And, and our life groups are where we come together and, and we study together and we pray together and we, we build friendships together. But I, I'm encouraging all of our life groups. Would you? Let, let's lose our swag and embrace our limp. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you have to let everybody in the whole church know about all of your dirty laundry. Not like that at all. But, but there are maybe it's your life group, maybe it's just one or two people in your life group, or just, just somebody else that you respect and you trust and you open up to. And you ask and you give each other permission. Will you please hold me accountable? I have this problem, I have this struggle, or even just generally, I want to grow closer to the Lord, and and, and I, I'm trying to read my Bible and pray every day, but I find that so hard. Would you like once a week ask me how I'm doing with that? Will you hold me accountable? Maybe could we even get together once in a while and and read some scripture together and just talk about our lives together? See, we give each other permission to encourage each other, to hold each other accountable. When you do that, that's where the hope is. And then when you have that kind of transparency and that kind of inner integrity, that's when the externals of your life start to become more integrated and whole and healthy. I'm so excited that right here at CCC in March or April, we're going to be starting a a new ministry called Celebrate Recovery. you probably heard of it. It's a worldwide ministry kind of thing started years ago. And uh, we're we're going to be starting it here in March or April. We're linking up with several other congregations around the community. But actually, we're going to host it right here and Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christian 12-step program. And it's for anybody, it's for anybody with they say they say with hurts, hang ups, or habits, and it's not just for oh, you have a drug problem or you have an alcohol problem or a porn problem or whatever. It's definitely for those kinds of things but but it, it's really for anybody for any kind of any kind of struggle, even where you're just lonely and you just whatever your 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 hurt might be might be you're wrestling yeah. with lack of forgiveness or jealousy or whatever it is and and you just want to go. Talk, talk about it and learn how to how to become more emotionally healthy. Encourage you to, to to sign up for that as the time draws near. So, when you think about it, isn't community, isn't church supposed to be like this all the time, where we have this kind of transparency, this kind of accountability, this kind of encouragement? Daily look inward with prayer and scripture and cry out to God. Dare to be transparent. Ask for accountability. Let's do these three things. Bow your heads with me.